Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello there, this is Dan Kilbride. I'm the host of New Books in American Studies. I'm also the chair of the history department at John Carroll University in Chile, University Heights, Ohio. And today we are uh, speaking with a friend of mine named Steve Knoll from the University of Florida. We're going to discuss a uh, a book that he co-edited with uh, Dave Tegeter called Ditch of Dreams, the the Cross Florida Barge Canal and the Struggle for Florida's Future. Uh, I came upon this book a couple years ago when we were doing a, a feshrift for a, a, a mutual friend of ours, uh, the late Bertram Wyatt Brown. Uh, uh, an excerpt uh, from this book was published in uh, the book that came out of that and was my, my personal favorite essay from that book. And it just tells a really exciting story that uh, there, there's so many things that intersect in this book. It's it's about politics. It's about culture. It's about the uh, sort of the uh, the erosion of the New Deal liberal coalition, uh, the the origins of the environmental movement. Uh, it's just it's such a, a wide ranging and exciting book that I'm delighted we uh, got to discuss it today. So again, the title is Ditch of Dreams: The Cross Florida Barge Canal. And the Struggle for Florida's Future, published by the University of Press of Florida in 2009. So, Steve Knoll, welcome to New Books in American Studies. Thanks, Dan. Glad to be here. Glad to be talking about the book. So, uh, Dave Tegeter, your co-author, uh, apparently he's some big shot department chair now, and he could not uh, – he's too busy to join us for this? Yeah, he's the, the new chair at the uh, Humanities and Social Science Department at Santa Fe College here in Gainesville, and uh, his life is consumed with the minutia, as you know, of, of chairmanship, which is certainly – not what he really likes to do, but I think he feels it's important to do it. Yeah, well, it's it's the glory and the fame and the riches that really makes chairing a department worthwhile. I think so. that's what Dave would would say as well. Yeah. He'll come he'll come to appreciate that. So, uh, Steve, well, tell us about yourself, your background, and how you came to this topic. Well, my background is 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 rather different than most academic historians. Um, after graduating undergrad at William & Mary, um, I went to graduate school in special education and taught um, special ed in the public schools of Gainesville for 28 years. Um, and most of my work, historical work, is around that kind of, of idea of history of disability. But in the process of, of um, teaching public school, I went back to, to graduate school in history. My undergraduate was in history. I got a master's and a PhD at the University of Florida, all while teaching public school. Um, and my work, as I said, was on history of disability. Um, my first two books are uh, um, Feeble-Minded in Our Midst, which is about um, institutions for people with uh, cognitive disabilities in the South. And my second book is called Mental Retardation in America. It's a reader on um, the historical um, evolution of the treatment of people with with mental disabilities. Um, In 2001, uh, Dave Tegeter, who's my my good friend, and interestingly enough, after writing the book, is still my good friend, um, (laughs) uh, 
we were offered uh, the possibility of joining a um, interdisciplinary University of Florida um, grant uh, regarding this linear state park uh, in the state of Florida called uh, the Cross Florida Greenway. And um, I had heard of this and, and being being kind of an environmentalist myself, I knew what was going on, but I didn't know the history. And um, these guys at, at UF wanted Dave and wanted historians to be involved in this in this grant to examine the Greenway, which is the result of this cross Florida Barge Canal. And um, we were very lucky because no one else at UF was either interested or, or uh, had the time to do this. And, and kind of by default, mm. they they uh, this grant fell into our laps, and we worked with people from. Uh, um, landscape architecture, from um, regional planning, from uh, tourism, uh, from geomatics, from all sorts of, from biology, and uh, with people from the the, uh, the state of Florida's um, Office of Greenways and Trails in the Department of Environmental Protection. And uh, the purpose of this was to, to publish a um, report on how best to utilize uh, the state's Greenway, and they wanted some historical perspective, so they involved historians in this. And uh, first question that I had was, you know, if you want us to do this, and they actually were really beneficent with their money, which is kind of unusual um, at, at this time. Um, and I said, well, who has rights to the materials that we find? And they had they had no idea. They didn't know. They they. Um, this is a question that was never asked because they aren't used to dealing with historians. And so they said, well, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. And then, so then I said, well, what do you want us to do with the material once we um, put it in, in the final grant report? And again, they said, we don't know. And I said, well, how about if we write a book? And, and they said, that would be wonderful. We would love that. And um, so the book came out of this grant. And, um, you know, the interesting thing is Dave and I are kind of the only people left who are still working with the state. The grant has run its course, but we're still in contact with the people uh, from from the um, Office of Greenways and Trails. And I've had a really good relationship with them. And they were incredibly supportive of our work. So um, that's how we, we came upon um, doing this stuff. Um, and it has kind of shifted my focus. I'm still doing disability stuff. Um, in fact, I'm going to the OAH next month to, to be on a panel about disability history, but I'm also doing environmental stuff. So, uh, in fact, next semester I'll be teaching a, a senior seminar on Florida environmental history again. Oh, excellent. So, uh, it, it's, it's kind of broadened my horizons and, and put me into two very different, um, historical, um, camps two very different uh, ways of looking at the world so it's it's um, it's very it's been very helpful and very wonderful i think that, that we got a chance to do this how did the process of co-writing work how did you and well, dave divvy it up well it's very interesting because um um gary mormino who um is kind of the dean as it were of, of, of florida history has written this uh -huh. seminal book called um Land of Sunshine, State of Dreams. And he originally had written a book on, on Ybor City and, and the immigrant world um, with George Pizzetta, a, a former 
professor at the University of Florida who, who uh, unfortunately died very young. And uh, Mormino and Pozzetta wrote this book called The Immigrant World of, of Ybor City. And um, it, it's an important book, but it's a very interesting book and very well written. And Gary knew me and, and Gary kind of talked to me about doing this stuff. And then um, early on in the process, he invited Dave and I down to Ybor City on a Saturday and we drove down there and, and he talked to us, uh, took us to lunch at, at one of the great Ybor, um, the Ybor uh, restaurants and um, basically told us what to do or how he and George did their book. Mm. And Dave and I immediately ignored everything that Gary told us. Um, <laughs> they, they did it. Um, each, each kind of wrote a chapter and then they kind of, um, they kind of um, melded it together at the end. We did everything together. We did a lot of research on the road together. Um, although we did a lot of research independently as well. Um, and we uh, collected reams and reams and reams of material, mostly because we had, a good budget. Uh, a lot of the material, right. a lot of the materials mm-hmm. were at the, um, at the state, uh, department of environmental protection building. And basically they said, uh, completely unorganized. And they said, okay, here's the stuff. Use it as much as you want. You know, here's the Xerox machines. If you need more mm-hmm. paper, just let us know. So we just Xerox and Xerox and Xerox. Um, you know, uh, Dave went to went to Austin for a, a conference and, and looked at the LBJ papers. Um, I, I did uh, all sorts of other stuff. We were in D.C. Um, for the um, the FDR papers um, online. They had a listing of boxes and stuff, and I just called them up and said, "Everything you have on the 1930s uh, Florida Ship Canal, um, just send us." And they said, "Well, that, that'll mm. be like six hundred dollars." I said, "No problem." <laughs> no problems. So, so that was wonderful. So, so it, it doesn't usually no, it work does that way in historical it, research. It, I just want to no, point I, that I, out. I, to I know that it does not usually work <laughs> that way at all. Um, so, when we wrote the book, we had all this material, and every, we're both teaching um, significant amounts. So, there was not a, a time during the week. Every Sunday, I would go over to Dave's house, and we would write um, two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours. Dave would be at the computer, um, and I would be pacing around, checking out the materials and, and, you know, he might write a sentence or I might write a sentence or we would work it together. So, so we worked it that way, which I think is, is pretty unusual. And, um, you know, the interesting thing is I don't think we really had one major argument as to, you know, the focus of the book and, or, or even, even, um, how to craft a sentence. I think, you know, by the end it was really sad or, or, or amazing that, you know, I would say, well, I start a sentence and they would finish it basically the same way I would. So, so we were really on the same page. So it worked out, it worked out really well. And I think it's worked out really well for, um, us taking the book on the road because, um, you know, we, we, uh, do a lot of book talks to, um, historical mm-hmm. societies and libraries and, and, uh, colleges and things. And, and, you know, we've got the dog and pony show, um, with, with, um, PowerPoint and everything else, but, you know, we've got it, you know, I'll start talking and then, um, seamlessly it'll, it'll transition to Dave. And then, then, you know, when, when the appropriate uh, slide comes up, he'll transition to me. So it's worked out really well. Um, I think we've, we've managed to, um, stay both professionally um, engaged in the book and also stay personal friends, which is pretty remarkable. That's pretty impressive. 
You know, there's a there's a line in your introduction that uh, I think is uh, pretty uh, telling, uh, and maybe you could elaborate on it for us. You, I ask a question, and and that is, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but why is the history of something that never happened? You know, the, the barge canal was not built. Right. Uh, why is it so important? Well, I, I think you have to realize it's been a part of Florida history since even before territorial times. You know, the Spanish had this idea, so mm-hmm. they're thinking about it during their two periods. The British think about it during their um, during their brief hiatus in, in control in, in the uh, 1760s to the 1780s. But uh, once America takes over Florida in, in 1821 and then it becomes a state in the 1840s, it's a part of, of, of the whole Florida story as, as Florida politicians and, and uh, entrepreneurs and boosters are pushing for this thing to put Florida at the center of trade and commerce and to uh, in boost the economy, as it were. Um, and it's important in the 1930s because when we talk about the New Deal, we always talk about the great programs, you know, these great public work, public works projects, you know, that, that, that occurred, you know, Grand Coulee Dam, stuff like that. This is a, as amazing a project as those, and it doesn't get completed. Yeah. And the question then is, you know, what political concerns or state concerns or fiscal concerns allowed this thing not to get done, you know, because, because Roosevelt, if Roosevelt had pushed, you know, Roosevelt could basically do anything in the thirties at that point. So so Mm -hmm. that's important. And then, you know, it's important because it remains a a front burner item through the forties and fifties and into the sixties when it starts again. And this is kind of at the height of um, LBJ and post new deal liberalism. And, America in 1964, when it started again, America's in a very good place, you know, except for except for the fact that that, that Kennedy had been assassinated. Um, you know, we stared the Russians down. Um, we're, we're sending a man to the moon. You know, uh, America's an extraordinarily optimistic place. Uh, big big ticket items are, are what defines America. You know, the can do attitude, and so mm-hmm. this is part of that. This this canal is going to be part of that that. Lyndon Johnson liberalism. And within seven years, once again, it is stopped um, as the nation changes rather dramatically during that time period. Um, the canal is a representative representative of that shift. And I think it's representative of, of the, the fraying of, of the New Deal coalition and, and, and the kind of demise of this Cold War liberalism and, and the rise really briefly of a bipartisan environmental movement, which is just kind of amazing. You know, that, that's both, you know, today environmentalism is, is a, considered to be uh, the purview of the Democratic Party and, and, right. and mm-hmm. Republicans, um, you know, there's just 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 an article on uh, North Carolina where um, uh, Republicans in the House pushed this uh, this bill. Uh, actually, the, the Senate in North Carolina pushed this bill through um, gutting environmental regulations. And, and the governor basically said, you know, environmental regulations hog tie business and they and they prevent us from from expanding the economy. Well, in the late 1960s, you know. Richard Nixon mm-hmm. on the right. national level and Claude Kirk on the state level are pushing environmental stuff. So I think that's important. And I think the other important thing is, is this notion that, that it's not over. 
you know, that, that the rest the vestiges of the canal are still there and people are still fighting over it. Um, almost 50 years, uh, 40 years, pretty much after it was stopped. And, and why is that? You know, and, and this guy from the Daytona beach paper is this great line that, that we use in the book, you know, the, the, the um, Berlin Wall is down. Apartheid is apartheid is is over. Um, you know the world has changed dramatically, but yet the canal, uh, the remnants of the canal, particularly <laughs> the dam and the dam and the reservoir, are still the dam, there. Right. You know, so it's it's kind of amazing. So, so I think that's why it's important. It, you know, it speaks to political issues um, on, a, on a, a local level and a national level. It speaks to citizen activism at a time in which you know people think you can't fight city hall or you can't fight big mm-hmm. business. You know, Marjorie Carr at some level stands up and does that, uh, which is pretty amazing. So, so yeah. it's it's um, it's a really interesting tale. It's a tale of of, of gender with, with Carr using using the, her gendered notions of environmentalism and also playing the demure housewife when she has to. to, to right. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so I think it's you know. Uh, so, that, so the. The, the book is called Ditch of Dreams. Uh-huh. So there, there's at least two canals. Primarily, we're talking about the Barge Canal, right. but there's also the earlier New Deal dream of the Ship right. Canal. So just tell us, what was what was the dream of the canal boosters? Why, why was this such a, 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 a positive vision for so many people for so long? What was to be accomplished well, by these canals? Well, understand that, that the vision starts in the 1820s when – Canal fever hits America, you know, the Erie Canal mm-hmm. and canals are the wave of the future. And and so in the in, right in the 1820s, Floridians in Florida's territorial representatives in Congress before it's a state are begging the federal government, which, you know, they really don't like because, it's, you know, it's intrusive. But, you know, that's another irony here. But um, they're begging for a canal to be placed across the state that will put Florida at the center of commerce. You know, because connecting the two major water transportation networks in America, which is you know, the Mississippi and Gulf you know, and New Orleans, to mm-hmm. the East Coast and the Atlantic Ocean. And, you know, in order to get around to connect them, you have to go around Florida. And it takes a long time. Um, ships get stuck on the, 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 the reefs in the Florida Straits. And certainly in the 19th century, there is that fear of the euphemistically named wreckers of Key West, basically, which are privateers or pirates. So, mm-hmm. so Floridians see this cut across the state as a way to um, connect these two waterways. And the connecting point will be Florida. And if it's the connecting point, it will place Florida at the center of this trade. So um, when, when the canal is being thought about, um, boosters call this thing the missing link, you know, the connecting point between these two major trade areas. And you know, I understand Florida is a very poor state, even into even into the 1930s, even to, you know, just about to the post-war period. It's it's the smallest state um, in the South um, Population-wise, into the 1930s, which is you know really hard to believe, and yeah. it's a very poor yeah. it's a very poor state, and um, you know this is a vision, a dream of um, making Florida into an economic powerhouse, um, and you know everybody has those those kind of goals that you know we want to be the center of, of everything. So the canal is the centerpiece of of this of this dream, and also 
in the 19th century and into the early 20th century, Florida is still a fairly unexplored state. You know, interior Florida is pretty much unmapped. You know, the Everglades, even into the 20th century. Area. Mm-hmm. And so when the United States Army Corps of Engineers surveys the state, maps out areas, you know, they're also looking for ways to get across the state by water. So it's this interesting combination then as well. Where was the canal? Um, just draw a little map, uh, sort of a, a you know an audio map for us. Where was the canal route? Well, there was no original design. The, the Corps of Engineers puts forth all these particular possibilities from the north, the St. Mary's River, which divides Florida from Georgia. That was mm-hmm. you know, there's a possibility of that route all the way across two ones, all the way as far south as across Lake Okeechobee connecting um, through the Caloosahatchee River and a, a canal that was going to be built from the, from the lake to, um, to the Atlantic Ocean. So, so they, they have literally dozens of routes where the canal is going to be. Finally, when it's set on an official route, the Corps gives it the great bureaucratic name of um, Route 13B. You know, which, is, which, which is just wonderful. And Route 13B starts uh, on the Gulf Coast uh, from Yankeetown, which is about 60, 60 to 80 miles north of Tampa on the Gulf. It's going to use the existing uh, Withlacoochee River on the West Coast for a little ways, maybe 10 or 15 miles. And it's going to cut across Florida, south of Ocala in north central Florida, not using any rivers, cutting across there to where it hits the Ocklawaha River um, just east of Ocala. Then it's going to um, use the Ocklawaha River, which will be um, straightened and dredged. Um, to where it hits the St. John's River south of Palatka, and this is um, like in northeast Florida. And then mm-hmm. the St. John's River will be straightened and dredged all the way from uh, right around Palatka up through Jacksonville to its mouth into the Atlantic. And this not only in- involves cutting and dredging um, of rivers and of land, but also out into the Gulf and into the Atlantic. So they're going to they're going to um, dig, dredge a, a channel out into the Gulf of Mexico. Um, at the mouth of, of the canal on the west side and out into the Atlantic, um, into the St. John's um, on the east side. So significant amount of, of cutting, dredging, and um, land clearing. Yeah, and just to be clear, you point out in the book that this is a project that was going to be – this was more ambitious than the Panama Canal, than the Suez oh, yeah, Canal. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be, it's gonna be unbelievable uh, in its size and scope. Which, you know, you try to explain that to people and it's, you know, wow, you know, they think it's just some little pleasure craft ditch across the state, <laughs> but this is going to be a big, a big deal. Yeah. Now, uh, one thing that uh, I think is, is such a major theme of the book, and you've already alluded to it, is that you link the vision of canal supporters to certain strands of American liberalism in the 1930s, the New Deal version of liberalism and the sort of post-New Deal liberalism of the 1960s. Can you describe the, uh, the 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 major features of those liberal worldviews? Given that you know, as you said today, uh, the the uh, uh, the environmental movement is very closely identified with the Democratic Party in this country, um, but we see in the 1930s and the 1960s liberals uh, in the Democratic Party being very excited by projects like this. Well. First of all, I think in the 1930s, it's 
it's about work. And, you know, FDR's, FDR's major mm-hmm. liberal programs are about getting the economy back and putting people to work. And so while the canal has been a dream up until the 1930s, the thing that makes it a reality is the economy of the nation is so bad we need to put people to work. And, you know, we put people to work on big projects, projects that people can associate with the Democratic Party. You know, mm-hmm. you hate to be craven here, and at some level it's not craven, but, you know, if if you live in a holler in East Tennessee and you're getting electricity from the TVA for the first time, you understand that that electricity was brought to you by the New Deal, mm-hmm. by sure. the Democratic Party, by Franklin Roosevelt. Okay, so certainly that ties into Roosevelt's notion of, you know, why I'm going to give money to the state of Florida and, and, and build this canal. So it's, it's about um, spending money on big projects, on infrastructure projects that will improve the nation. And, you know, infrastructure projects involve major moving of earth, major uh, building and also major destruction of environmental stuff. You know, there's no doubt about that, but the benefits supposedly accruing to that would outweigh the costs, you know? And, and so that, that's that, that's that um, new deal liberalism of, of the thirties by the sixties. Um, you know, we've got pretty, pretty close to full employment. Um, the work angle is off of there, but you know, the Johnson's form of liberalism is, Big projects, same thing, um, legacy things, things that that will help America. And, and you know, this can-do attitude in which Americans mm-hmm. see yeah. themselves as, you know, this is the American century. We can't just sit idly by. We have to do things. And, and Johnson's, Johnson's speech at the... Uh, at the groundbreaking, um, in which he actually comes to Florida, is is really indicative of that vision where, where he says, you know, God made the rivers, but we can improve them. And that's mm-hmm, what, yeah, that's, what right. you, that's what this liberalism is about, improving the world to make it better for people. Right. Oh, the biggest day in Palatka's history, yeah. I think it's safe to say, right? Yeah, I think, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they're, they're, and um, because... It was 50 years ago last month. Um, there's a great um, line, and I don't, I don't know if it's in the book, um, but uh, Palatka students are let out of school to go to the groundbreaking. And February 1964 <laughs> is also when the Beatles come to New York. And, and one of these uh, Palatka, I don't know, high school or middle school students is holding up a sign, you know, Barge Canal is bigger than the Beatles, you know, <laughs> which at some level speaks to, you know, that, that cultural stuff. You know, yeah. those, those long haired, you know, people from the urban areas, you know, what's the, what are that, what, what are they doing for us? Nothing, but this, this is going to help us, you know, so interesting stuff. So why did the ship canal, and again, there are two canals, the, the major, you know, this, the ship canal vision, which would have really messed up right. the state. And then there's the barge right. canal in the 60s. Yeah, but both along why did the, the ship, route, both along that 13B. You know, so. Why did the ship canal fail? Well, why was it not it, built? In, a, in an abstract sense, all Floridians are on board this thing. And when it starts to be built, um, people begin to realize that a a 40-foot deep canal across the state with no locks and dams, just a straight cut right across the state, is going to lead to a cutting of the aquifer, 
which is going to lead to saltwater intrusion. Saltwater intrusion is going to be problematic for the two largest industries in Florida at this point, one of which is tourism, but the most important in the 1930s is agriculture. And Florida agricultural interests, who are powerful and rather conservative and all tied to the Democratic Party, begin to raise questions about whether this canal is a good idea. And Roosevelt, if nothing else, is a consummate politician. And Mm -hmm. he has his ear to the ground and says, okay, if Floridians are divided over this thing, I'm not going to put my political capital behind it. So uh, an initial allotment of money is, is thrown to this through Roosevelt and the executive branch, through the WPA. And then Roosevelt says, well, the next allotment has to go through Congress, which means it has to be voted on. And certainly, 1936, he's at the height of his political um, capabilities. If he wanted to, he could have you know, twisted some arms and, and made some deals. But he just lets it go through on its own, and it fails by one vote. Mm. And you know, he, he basically has washed his hands of the deal, which is really an interesting thing. The other thing is, is that um, conservative Republicans see this as – Another example of, you know, big New Deal creeping socialism, uh, money (laughs) ill spent, and and they are pushing against this. People like Arthur Vandenberg, Mm -hmm. who has presidential ambitions, and, you know, he's building his his campaign around fiscal responsibility, and he sees this as throwing money down a rat hole. Um, Of course, he doesn't tell people that he is um, favoring a a similar project um, that will link Michigan, which is where Vandenberg is from, (laughs) link Michigan to to the Atlantic Ocean through what will become the St. Lawrence Seaway. Uh, Mm -hmm. But, but, you know, that's not what he, that's not why he's telling people this it's because, right. it's because fiscally responsible. So FDR yeah. kind of washes his hands and, you know, the drag lines go silent, the, the, the bulldozers uh, stop and um, all those workers are let go. Mm-hmm. So uh, in, in the 1960s, the story was different because, uh, you know, the Barge Canal faced a new enemy in the 1960s. And this was this. Uh, burgeoning this new environmental right. movement, these environmental activists. Right. So, you know, the, we live in a, in a in a world where we take the environmental movement for for granted that it's it's a major part of American politics. Uh, but this was something new in the 1960s. And can you describe the the worldview, the the the, uh, the outlook of environmental activists in, in the 1960s, and, and particularly, I, I would like you to get to the role of uh, Marjorie Harris Carr. Well, I think it, it's a world in which the environmental is not environment is not considered at all in in any projects that are built. So when this thing is built. The plans are made in the early in the early 1960s. We're on the ground. Finally, um, after this 30-year hiatus, we're going to start again. Um, there seems to be nothing in the way of of, of building this thing, um, and individuals begin to question the efficacy of this canal, and and not necessarily completely on the economic grounds that it was questioned on in the 1930s when um, even though at some level it has to do with the environment 
Mm-hmm. People in 1930s aren't saying, oh, we have to save the world. They're saying, no, you have to save my pocketbook. And right. my pocketbook is associated with the natural world, but that's what this is about. Um, the, the, to me and to Dave as well, the, the key factor here is that the people involved in stopping the canal have brought up something new into the equation. And that is, you must consider the effects of any project on the earth, on the right. ecosystem, on ecology, before any project is built. And and Cara is smart because she recognizes that some people may not understand that or appreciate that. And she says, okay, let's factor that into an economic cost-benefit analysis, you know, the cost of destroying the river. And if mm-hmm. we put the cost of destroying a natural river into the benefit analysis of building the canal, it will turn out to be cost ineffective and therefore shouldn't be built. So, so these people um, look at preserving the natural world. So I, we, we say, and I don't, I, I don't think we're the first people to say this, but we say they have moved from conservation to preservation. Mm-hmm. Now, as you point out, uh, the environmentalists like Marjorie Carr weren't necessarily, uh, some of them were, but certainly not all of them, certainly not Marjorie Harris Carr. They, were, they weren't these sort of doe-eyed, uh, tree-hugging uh, you know, hippies. They brought this sentiment to the movement, especially when it came to the Akawaha River, mm-hmm. but they were also brought science. I mean, they, they had this, you know, they, they, had, they had hard science behind them, but there was this sentimental uh, aspect to it, particularly regarding the Akawaha River. Can you describe, you know, that, that river and, and, and well, what it was like? Well, the, the river and, is... And what was, going to, what, what was going to happen well, to well, the it? the river is this barge was really kind of amazing place, and if, if you haven't seen it, um, this is part of... of the reason why Carr and her allies are, are so concerned. It's this fairly pristine river that um, was logged in the 19th century, but pretty much has been left alone. Um, not much development on there. It's pretty isolated. Um, it's snag filled. It's canopied. So, so, so huge um, second growth cypress because the first growth cypress was, was logged. Second growth cypress um, you know, cover, give a cover to the river. It's winding. Um, at points, it's very narrow. It's beautiful. It's, um, it's both clear, but it's tannic from, from the, from the uh, acid from the citrus, uh, from, the, um, from the cypress trees. Um, it's a pretty amazing place and pretty untouched. You know, some parts of it particularly south of where the canal would have been, have already been channelized. Um, and where it starts in uh, central Florida, um, even in, in the 1950s, beginning of, of large agriculture and, and nitrate dumpage. So, so the river is not pristine by any means, but it is beautiful and it is fairly untouched. And the canal w- would have turned this twisting, turning, canopied river into a straight-cut canal um, with two large um, reservoirs behind dams. Um, And so it would have pretty much destroyed this, this river completely. Mm -hmm. Um, And Carr sees this river as her backyard. Um, She canoes on this river with her husband and her children. Um, They spend summers recreating there. And for her, this is, 
personal. And so she uses that sentimentality to build upon protecting this river and, and almost that, that female sentimentality, you know, mm -hmm. you're destroying mother earth. But Carr is also a scientist, you know, which is very interesting. You know, you're, she's got an undergraduate degree in biology from Florida state college for women, which is now FSU. She's got a master's degree uh, from UF at a point at which women could not go to UF, um, as undergrads, but they could take, mm -hmm. um, and of course she can't get a job because she's a woman. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, with this scientific background, she can attack the Corps of Engineers who's building this in the state of Florida, who's building this on not just the sentimentality aspect, but also on the science. And, uh, and mm -hmm. one of the things that she says is, you know, just the facts. And, you know, she says they can argue with sentiment. Oh, it's just some oh bird hugging, uh, tree hugging, bird watching <laughs> woman. You know, go back to the kitchen, lady. But they can't argue with science, and and mm -hmm. Carr utilizes her scientific expertise, but also the scientific expertise of of, of lots of professors, graduate students, even undergrads at UF to show the damage that this thing would do to this river. And it's interesting because it's always about the Akawaha. There's very little argument about what this thing would do, you know, cutting across the state or what this thing would do to the Wiflacuchi. It's always about the Akawaha. And, and, you know, for people listening, the Akawaha's major tributary is Silver, the Silver River, which starts at um, Silver Springs, which is this amazing um, first magnitude spring in the center of the state that is, you know, at, at this point, one of the centers of Florida tourism. You know, before mm -hmm. Disney, Silver, people come to Florida to see Florida, not to see it's a small world. And when you come to see Florida, you either go to the beach or you go to the natural Florida, which is Silver Springs. So this would have pretty much wrecked Silver Springs, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, people may not have known listening may not know the Akawaha, but probably know something about Silver Springs. So yeah, they, the glass bottom boats right. are pretty yeah, famous. Yeah. So how, what, what was built? How, how much of the canal was actually? Well, the interesting thing is there are scars on the land from the 1930s where, um, basically inefficient workers using mules and men and some, um, some, um, mechanized, uh, work, uh, dig these, places where the canal is going to be. And um, you can still see these these cuts um, southwest of Ocala along the where the Cross Florida Greenway is today. Um, but so not very much there. Um, the 1960s, about a third of it is completed. There, there's, um, there's a canal connecting um, the Oklawaha River to the, to the St. John's, um, bypassing where the where the river would have, where the Oklahoma would have gone into the St. John. So there's about, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight miles of canal there. Mm -hmm. um, on the west side, the canal is connected from, is built from the Gulf of Mexico to a dam about five miles in. So um, three dams were built, uh, two reservoirs were established. Um, and so those are still there. Um, one dam on the Oklawaha um, is not utilized at all, and the river goes past it. You can get to this dam and um, lock 
kind of on a back channel, but the river doesn't mm-hmm. flow through there. And it's, it's incredibly eerie that, you know, this huge lock and, and dam, they're just sitting there waiting for the river to be diverted to go through it, which it doesn't. <laughs> but, but um, Rodman Reservoir still exists on right. the Oklahoma, and the dam is there, um, now called Kirkpatrick Dam. And on the west side, um, Inglis, Inglis Dam is there, and Lake Rousseau is there as well. So, so we got some, some canal, we got some dams, we got some reservoirs and then we got the greenway, which is right. We'll, we'll get to that at the end. I think we're going to talk about that, but so how did, um, this must've seemed at the beginning to, to people like Marjorie Carr and, and her allies that they were going up. This was a David and Goliath sort of struggle, right? Yes. I mean, they're going up against the democratic party. Right. Lyndon Johnson at the absolute height of right. his considerable power and authority. And we all know about like, you know, the Johnson treatment that he was willing to give to people. Yeah. How did the environmentalists, the canal opponents, how did they make their case? What was their well, public relations well, well, strategy? There's, I mean, there's two things going on. On a local level, they do amazing stuff, but at a national level, we'll get to local in a minute, but at a national level, I think this is a really propitious moment, the late 60s. And, and you know, Dave and I have argued that if the canal had been started in the 50s, it would have been finished. Mm-hmm. If it had been started in the 70s and into the 80s, it would have been finished, Reagan and the Sagebrush Revolution type stuff. But at this particular moment, people's eyes are attuned to what we're doing to the world. You know, we, we, we're... Um, the Santa Barbara oil spill, which is amazing, you know, it, it, considering the thing in the Gulf, it's, it's rather minor, but it's it's pretty amazingly to, to galvanize people's vision. Um, we've got the publication of Silver Spring, I mean, of, of, of Silent Spring um, mm-hmm. um, in 1962. And, you know, we, we've got um, the Cuyahoga River, which, you know, pretty well, the apocryphal story yep. of, of it uh, catching on fire. And, and, and we've got that iconic vision of... Uh, Apollo 8 um, taking the picture out of the window of the world looking very fragile. And so, you know, at, at this point, people's eyes, and we had the first Earth Day, which at some level, and except for a few rather rather reactionary Republicans, Earth Day is a rather mainstream event. So, so mm-hmm. the world's eyes are turned toward this. But Carr and her allies um, do an amazing job locally, locally and statewide, getting Floridians to see the dangers and the problems that this canal would cause to Florida's environment in general and the Ocklawaha River specifically. Um, They, at a time in which, hard to believe now, but newspapers had power and newspaper editorial boards set the tone for where cities were going. And Mm -hmm. in 1964, 65, basically every newspaper editorial board in the state of Florida is pro-canal, pro-development, pro-trade pro, um, and commerce. You know, this is going to bring jobs. This is going to, by 1969, except for Jacksonville and Ocala, which have vested interests in the canal, all the other major state newspapers have said, let's look at this again. You know, St. Pete Times, very important, Miami Herald, Orlando Sentinel, Tampa Times, all, Gainesville Sun, have all, which originally was, mm-hmm. all have come out opposing the canal. And so, well, I love the story. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I love the story. Uh, I think it was the uh, Orlando Sentinel uh-huh. where there was a they were meeting with the Army Corps of Engineers and the uh, 
who making their case for the canal and uh, they got a phone call about the barge getting stuck yeah in uh, in 1970 and they came back to the office and said you know what the hell you know I mean, well, yeah, I mean it's, you're talking up this thing and there's a barge stuck well, well, it, yeah, it's not even loaded right the um, by this time the, the meeting is about whether to change the Orlando papers editorial position because they appear to be waffling and so mm-hmm. they're meeting with um, people from the Florida State Canal Authority, people from the Army Corps of Engineers, um, you know, so federal and state officials to make the case why we shouldn't change it. And, you know, one reason that we shouldn't change it is because the canal is is just beginning to um, have its first um, load of, of commerce taken through the canal or what little parts of the canal on the west side and out to sea to wherever it's going. And so this proves that the canal is, is a viable economic enterprise. And so while this is going on, um, unbeknownst to those people, the barge that is, is their baby, that is their vision for uh, allowing the canal to be considered a success is stuck um, in the canal. Um, and it, it's not even full. So therefore, right. you know, and a guy, one of Carr's supporters um, is watching this. And of course, no cell phones. He's got to get to a payphone. So yeah. he calls the payphone. He calls this guy, David Anthony, who is the representative of, of Carr's allies in this meeting and, and, and calls up the Orlando paper and says, I need to talk to David Anthony. He's, he's And the woman says, I'm sorry. He's in a meeting right now, a very important meeting. He says, he needs to talk to me right now. This is this is about that. And and, and the guy gets on the on the phone and says, "Tell him the damn thing's stuck." And Anthony goes back into the meeting and says, and lets these people wax on about you know how <laughs> how um, wonderful the canal is going to be, and this is just mm-hmm. the first step in, in this in this economic boom for the state. And Anthony says, um, somehow this isn't going to work. If the first damn barge gets stuck in the canal and it isn't full of anything, what's going to happen when you try to ship um, barges full of material? It's a disaster, you know. Um, and basically, it's, it's because you know, twelve feet deep canal was was done to avoid cutting into the aquifer, which is yeah. which is how deep the ship uh, the barge canal was going to be. And it's outmoded. You know, new barges require a deeper depth, require a wider thing. So before they even built the thing, it was outmoded. So. Right. Um, did did the uh, proponents of the canal ever really understand the point of view of the opponents, no, no, or no, no, was it no. just they just saw them as a bunch of wackos? Yeah, or? yeah. They see as you know, this is progress, this is jobs, this is the future, um, and these people are standing in the way of progress. And you know, why? You know, what what kind of person does that? <laughs> You know, just some some woman who's more concerned about a river than she's concerned about a job. And, you know, they play on the fact that you know, Carr and her allies are, if not wealthy, certainly comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, and these jobs are going to be for those who aren't comfortable. You know, they're going to be, you know, we're providing jobs for working class guys. And who's stopping it? You know, it's those liberals you know right 
Well, you also tell a story about, and I forget exactly when this is chronologically. Yeah, but, it, it, uh, God knows the chronology is always a mess. So. The guy with the, uh, who's operating the crane uh, at some point when the word comes that the canal is going to be shut down and he says, basically, he goes and gets some bait. He gets a case of beer and he just goes and gets really wildly hung over and, and he says, you know, I'm out of here. Yeah, I'm out of here. You know, I'm going to New York. Yeah, this, because, is, this, is know, in, this is this is my job. This is in January of 1971 when, when Carr's strategy has paid off, uh, legal strategies paid off and, and the courts stop it. But Richard Nixon also stops it. You know, right. Richard Nixon, environmental hero, you know, which is real interesting. And the guy yeah, there's this great interview with this guy. We didn't do it, but it was in the newspapers. And, and you know, he's he's, he's a, a, a bulldozer operator, dragline operator. And he says, you know, damn it. And I thought Nixon was the working man's friend, you know, mm-hmm. son of a bitch. He's, he's you know, I, I, I lose a job. So so uh, he said, yeah, I'll take my bait. I'll, I'll buy some beer. I'll get drunk and I'll go look for jobs somewhere else. And, you know, and that's what and, and the supporters of the canal say, see, you know, this is this is what you did. This guy doesn't have a job in our state because of you. Yeah, I mean, that, that, it almost like epitomizes like a you know a Reagan Democrat. Oh, oh, sh- who, oh yeah. no, for sure, for sure, and certainly, certainly, when when the canal is over and we have the continuing dispute over the dam, the people who want the dam say, you know, this is our this is our dam now, we, you know, and who are those people in, in Gainesville telling us the dam needs to come down? You know, those those liberals, those intellectuals, those college people, you know, and it mm-hmm. plays into those, those those class dimensions. We have addressed the uh, sort of incongruity uh, or the you know surprise factor of Richard Nixon environmentalists. Yeah. So what were the – to Nixon, this was not a, a – a, a clear decision for him. I mean, he went sort of back and forth right. on it, but why did Nixon elect to pull support for the canal? And why did he come out, come out, you know, come down on that side? Well, it's, it, it's politics, you know, and, and you can say, you know, it's a craven political action, but he does come down on, on, on the right side of this issue. Um, but it's all about politics. He understands, you know, Florida, Florida is not Alabama, you know, and, and the people of Florida have spoken, at some level, uh, about their desire not to have this canal. And, and it, like, a couple months before he makes a decision, he comes to Florida to help Claude Kirk campaign. He gets off off the plane and he sees pickets. Not an unusual thing for Richard Nixon to see pickets, but these are people not opposing the war. They're, they're stop the barge canal. Mm-hmm. And Nixon says to Kirk, I guess they don't like your canal, Governor. And, and Kirk says, Mr. President, it's your canal. And boom, Nixon, well, you know, this kind of hits Nixon in the head. And, hmm. and um, you know, it, it's interesting because there is there is a uh, Russell Train and John Whitaker and even John Ehrlichman, for gosh sakes, who have <laughs> a constituency within Nixon's White House that push for environmental stuff. And Nixon, you know, NEPA, the Environmental Policy Act, and, and um, um, the Council of, of, of Environmental um, uh, Advisors, all this stuff is passed under Nixon. And, and you know, he's these guys, uh, and we, we talked to Whitaker, I mean, he's, he's a true environmentalist, um, but, but these guys see this as a way to um, broaden the appeal of the Republican Party. You know that that there are, that that this is a, a a issue that will affect Americans in the future, and and Nixon buys on, but Nixon certainly 
understands politics. And maybe the best way to explain that mm-hmm. is, you know, three months after he stops the barge canal, this great environmental victory. And basically, you know, it's, it's his, it's his, it's his decision. He goes to Mobile, Alabama and speaks at the groundbreaking of a similar project in Alabama called the Tennessee Tom Bigby Waterway, which was finished. And has the same economic uh, and environmental questions that the cross Florida barge canal does, but the constituency of Alabama and Mississippi is not the same as the constituency of Florida. And, and Nixon comes down on exactly the opposite side. You know, it's a time in which he sees George Wallace undercutting him. And, you know, if I can get some votes in Alabama by throwing money at Alabamians for building this thing, I can. Under- mm-hmm. So, so, you know, it's a pretty craven environmental decision, <laughs> political decision, but you know, it, he does make it. It doesn't really matter why he does it. And, you know, there's this great quote, which probably isn't in the book, that Carr says, you know, damn it, I have to give Richard Nixon credit for this. But, <laughs> so. so this was not exactly the end of the canal. It, it kind of lingers on for a long time oh, sure. and, and doesn't quite kick the bucket no. for until like 1991, right? Yeah. When, when, uh, uh, Lawton Childs yeah. finally yeah. officially sticks uh, yeah. uh, a knife into yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you know, th- there's two major issues here. Um, number one is um, what to do with the lands that have been purchased and set aside for canal building. Um, is that land going to go back to the people who sold into the state or was taken from them by eminent domain? Um, is it going to go to the state itself? Is it going to go to the county? And it takes 20 years from 1971 when the canals ended to 1991 when it's finally deauthorized to turn this land over to the state as a state park. You know, we're not going to deauthorize it unless we know what we're going to do with it. We're going to turn it over to the state as a, as a state park. And it becomes the Cross Florida Greenway, which upon Marjorie Carr's death in 1997 becomes the Marjorie Harris Carr cross Florida Greenway. But the other dispute, which is still ongoing, is what to do with the existing structures, particularly the dam and the reservoir on the Oklahoma. And Carr cannot rest until the river, you know, she saved the river, but parts of it are degraded by the reservoir and the dam, and she wants them down. And so this dispute is still going on. It's 2014, the dam is still there. The reservoir is, is, is still there. Carr has been dead since 1997, and this dispute is going on with apparently no signs of resolution. So what has been the fate of the canal and you know th- th- those parts that were built, those sort of scars on the, uh, on, on, on the geography, as you call them. What's been the fate of the canal since 1991? Well, it's turned into this wonderful linear park, 107 miles of, of Greenway, which as Florida sprawls north of Ocala and south, uh, north of Orlando and south of Ocala, there's this swath of green that um, is the ironic legacy of something that would have completely scarred the land. And, you know, it's become this wonderful um, passive recreation area where people can hike and mountain bike and, and, and uh, canoe and uh, equestrian stuff and, and protecting uh, uh, native species. So it's, it's this wonderful, um, amazing um, natural resource. And, and, you know, there's this great picture of, of uh, people biking to um, – the Gulf of Mexico to watch the sunset on, on what would have been the industrial um, 
offloading point from ships to, to barge and mm-hmm. in this incredible um, industrial site there. Now it's just this wonderful place to watch the sun, sunset. So that's this amazing thing. And, you know, the, uh, the other thing is when they were going to dig out into the out into the Gulf, they started doing that in the, you know, the, the huge spoil islands out in the Gulf of Mexico, which now are great um, places for um, birds to nest. So the ironies here are just amazing. But mm-hmm. but on the other side of the, of the canal, there's still the dam and and, and the reservoir that that um, every year the Florida legislature fights about what to do with this stuff. Mm-hmm. Now you got uh, bass fishermen among others who are all in favor of keeping the Rodman Dam right. or not the, the Kirkpatrick Dam. What's, what's so. called the Rodman Dam now called the Kirkpatrick Dam. Yeah. And now environmentalists, correct me if I'm wrong, are in are, they they want to do away with yeah. the. The dam. What would that do? What would what would be the environmental impact of well, I mean, it's, opening it, up the dam? They want the river to flow naturally. That it would go through its natural course, and then it would um, become whole again, as opposed to just um, it would make the river natural. Get rid of this artificial ecosystem of of Rodman Reservoir. Um, it would you know turn back to natural Florida. Um, you know, problems with all that is the river is, is significantly degraded in many of its parts. Uh, Silver Springs um, isn't as silver as it was. Mm-hmm. Nitrates are, are, are leaching into, into, the, into the river basin from, from uh, uh, fertilizers, some from agriculture, but mostly from neighborhood backyards and golf courses. Huh. And so, 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 you know, the river is certainly not pristine. Um, the ecosystem of the lake or the reservoir is not as empty as it seems. I've taken my students out there, and from what I, from what I've told them, they expect to find this dead zone, and it's it's not a dead zone. Um, it, it's it's a somewhat vibrant enterprise, but it's artificial. And every year, mm-hmm. every five years, it has to be lowered in order for the, the water to breathe, as it were, you know, because it, it, it's not a natural ecosystem. Um, and when they lower it, you can see the course of the river where it was, and you can see uh, springs that were covered up by by the reservoir, which are pretty amazing. And it, it shows what the river would be like if the if the reservoir was gone. And it's, you know, it's a pretty damning indictment of keeping the reservoir up there. And certainly another thing is the assumption that if we remove the dam and the reservoir, this land that was underwater will just be you know, a muck land for years. <laughs> um, but Florida also um, rechannelized the Kissimmee River, which was turned into a, a canal in the 1970s, not for, not for um, transportation, but for um, drainage control and um it spent like a couple million to do this and now they've spent a couple billion to restore it back to its natural thing and even the most <laughs> optimistic proponents of restoration thought it would take a really long time for, for the natural ecosystem to reappear and it's reappeared much quicker than almost anyone would have hoped for which lets you think that that would happen as well um if, mm-hmm. if the dam is gone what are the politics of? Well, I, don't, I mean, the, the politics are crazy. I mean, you know, it, at this point, it, it's it's a low priority item, and if it's a low priority item, it's still there, you know. And the longer it stays, the longer it becomes part of the landscape, and that, that that's a problem. Um, yeah. Uh, 
the people who are the heirs of Marjorie Harris Carr's environmental vision have sued once again to get this down um, and sued in federal court because part of the land um, adjacent abutting the the reservoir is national forest land. Um, and you know, they, they, they were, this was in 2012, and they were so excited. Oh, this is it. They, you know, they talked to Dave and I, and we said, you know, if history tells you anything, it tells you – it would be nice, but it may, it may not happen. <laughs> what is uh, what is next for you? I mean, you're you're on this uh, junket uh, all over the state of Florida promoting this book, yeah, we, um, I mean, it, which it was, must be nice. It's, it's been really interesting that uh, you know we do this stuff um, uh, all around the state, and I think uh, it just kind of boomed again because it's the 50th anniversary. So I think we'll mm-hmm. continue we'll continue to do that. I am writing by myself, because Dave is, is, is a busy man, um, a second book on this called It's About Damn Time, um, about the continuing controversy, which is kind of the last chapter of the book, but building in the continuing controversy over Rodman, the dam, Rodman Reservoir, and Kirkpatrick Dam, and what, what to do about it. Um, and you know, at some level, it's just the same old stuff. Well, it should come down. It shouldn't come down. So I'm, I'm working on how to get a handle on that. And I'm also working on a, a disability book um, uh, about disability rights protests in the 1970s. And, and I came upon that because I, mean, I, I do a lot of teaching of the survey. And mm-hmm. in, in the survey, you know, well, we have the civil rights revolution and it's it's descendants, you know, um, the women's rights movement, the ecology movement, the gay rights movement, the Indian rights movement, and nobody mentions disability rights and, and, and their yeah. and their relationship to um, the civil rights movement. And, you know, the longest um, sitting uh, in, in a federal building in American history was not the Indians in Alcatraz. It was not um, the civil rights workers. It was not women looking for equal pay. It was disability rights activists looking for um, um, the federal government to institute rules that should have been instituted. So I think, you know, so wow. that's a real interesting story. Well, that'll be our next interview. Yeah. It'd be great. Yeah, so be interesting. Great. Yeah, I, yeah. And I, it's, it's a book designed for, um, I think, an undergraduate audience like to use it to use in classrooms so yeah i'm excited about doing that so well steve Noll, thanks so much for joining us well, hopefully on this was american studies this was helpful and worthwhile and i really appreciate the opportunity to talk sorry dave couldn't be here but uh, uh i think it worked out okay that's great so uh once again this is dan kilbride i'm the host of new books in american studies we've been talking to steve Noll uh, about his co-authored book Ditch of Dreams, the Cross Florida Barge Canal, and the Struggle for Florida's Future. Uh, you'll see a link to this book uh, on the uh, interview page, and it'll take you directly to the Amazon site for this book. So uh, throw some throw some more royalties Steve and Dave's way. I'm sure they'd appreciate it. Uh, and like the book on Facebook as well. And like it on Facebook, absolutely. And if you're in Florida, uh, go see these guys' uh, dog and pony show. It's it's it'll be well worth. And it. go see go see the remnants of the canal, particularly their bridge stanchions south of Ocala from the 1930s that are in the woods. They're unbelievable. It's kind of like Stonehenge. <laughs> All right. So uh, so long, everybody, and we'll see you during our next interview. Bye bye. 